All right, we're going to get started. Um, first of all, I see some new faces. If anyone is not on the email list to know whether we're having class or not, then uh, please sign up your name um, so that you can know in advance. For example, next week we do not have class. Um, and also, if you're not signed up for our WhatsApp group, where we try to have a few times a week a little message about Amuna, feel free to uh, sign up for that as well. So we'll pass this around. If anyone's name is not on it, please uh, edit. Okay, we're on page Memvav, Nesiva Shalom. We've been going through the Salonim Rebbe on Emuna. And as always, we dedicate our learning. Lili Nishma, Shendel, Getol, Bas, Chaim, Shaul, Mir Neshama, Hav, and Aliyah. And the, uh, the Nesiva Shalom, who we've been studying now for many, many weeks, has developed this notion of Emuna, the idea that there are sophisticated forms of faith and there are simple forms of faith. There's a faith that develops with investigation and analysis and research by contemplating the, uh, the uh, evidence of God's existence. And then there's the simple faith, which is to use your senses and to be aware of what's happening in the world and to have your antenna extended in a way that you're not doing anything extraordinary, you're simply receiving the messages that are being broadcast all around us. In other words, and this is a key, key question that we've discussed before, is the default that there's no God, that the world is made of randomness, and we need to be proven to us that there is a God? Or is the default that obviously there is a God, obviously there's something greater, obviously there's meaning and order to the world, and if you don't believe there is a God, it's because there's something interfering, there's static that's inter- interrupting your picking up the, uh, the messages around us. And the Salaam Rebbe obviously endorses the idea that the default is every child who knows their parents are their parents and their grandparents are their grandparents and their great-grandparents are their great-grandparents. Every child who innately and intuitively is born knowing they come from somewhere and there's something bigger than themselves, also if they take that theory, again, not consciously, but subconsciously all the way, they know that there's a first cause, there's a creator of the universe, there's a father in heaven. And that it's only because life has dealt us either difficult circumstances or challenges or clouded our judgment or our vision or has made believing in God incompatible with the lifestyle we want to lead that we conclude that maybe there is no Hashem. But really the default is that in our kishkas to know that there is, that there is a God. Now that is, is not always easy to achieve because that notion that I just said of, of life's circumstances interfering with our conclusions um, is, is something challenging. It happens to all of us. You go through a hard time. Things are not simple. You feel alienated, distance, far away from Hashem. It's easy to conclude, I don't know, where's God? What kind of God would do that? What kind of God would allow that? Why would God do this to me or to someone I care about? So we're on the bottom paragraph of page Memvav. And he says that this is what the Pasuk in Tehillim means. balelos. Tov lahodos l'Hashem, that it's good to thank Hashem. Tov lahodos l'Hashem, lahagid baboker chazdecha ve'emunas chabalelos. To, in the morning, speak of Hashem's chesed, and to affirm our emuna balelos at night. Ha'inu ba'iz chashkos ha'emuna sha'avim yachsuhu, gam az ya'amin kimamim hu pepnimios nafsho. That even when those thick clouds cover the sun, one has to believe with their essence of their being. That there are thick clouds at that moment covering what you already know in an absolute 
in an absolute way and in an absolute fashion. I think I gave this example last time, and I'm going to give it again because I was just on a plane. So it happens every time. But when we were, I was uh, flying back from Israel Monday, and we landed in, uh, it was a stopover in Zurich. And on the way there in the stopover in Zurich, I saw the most magnificent snow-capped mountains, and I told you about Rav Hirsch and Hashem's expectation to visit my Alps. I, could, I was Yotze. I could tell Hashem, saw the Alps, magnificent, they look good. On the way back, I, I literally spent the last 45 minutes of the flight looking out the window, trying to figure out whether I was looking at snow or clouds. In other words, it was just landscaped with, with white. And I was just I was staring. I was obviously also... Exhausted, which is why you would spend 45 minutes on an airplane staring out the window trying to figure that out. But I couldn't figure it out. Was it, was it snow or was it clouds? Was it just the ground covered in snow or was it cl- I couldn't figure it out. As we're landing and landing and landing, you know, as we got awfully close to them, I was hoping that they were clouds because we were about to, if it was snow, we were about to crash into the ground. And lo and behold, we got closer and closer and closer and then we were in the midst of these clouds. And when we passed through the clouds and we were beneath, so when we were on top of the clouds, clear blue sky, sun is shining, it's radiating off the white of what were the clouds. It was just magnificent, so peaceful. And we passed through the clouds, and as we were about to land, once we got through the clouds, it was like pitch blackout. It was, it was like dark because the cloud cover was so thick from the perspective of Earth, it was so incredibly dark. And that's what the Nesiva Shalom says. Now, when we landed, it was uh, 11.30 in the morning Zurich time. But it might as well have been 10 o'clock at night because the cloud cover was so thick. But did I have any doubt in my mind that there is a sun and that the sun was out? I looked at my watch. It's 11.30 in the morning. I just saw the sun. I understand what it looks like. I understand the rays, the light, the illumination. I had no doubt. I just had to have faith. I had to have confidence. I had to tap into that inner voice that just witnessed the sun and remember it's there, it's shining bright, it's true, it's fulfilling its mission. There's just clouds blocking it right now, but you know what? I'm going to take off again in an hour and a half and we're going to break through the clouds. I'm going to see the sun again. It's there and it's only a matter of time till I can break through the clouds and see the sun again. So says the Islam Rebbe, that's exactly what Amun is about. We have moments of Amunas Chabalelos. We have nighttime. And nighttime is not meant to be taken literally as nocturnal hours, the nighttime. Nighttime means when it feels dark out. It could be 11.30 in the morning and feel like it's pitch black out. Right? I said last time, if you live in Florida in the summer, 3 o'clock every afternoon, it feels like the middle of the night. The clouds come out, it pours, and then they dissipate and the sun comes out again. You could feel darkness and nighttime even during the daylight hours. And when you do, so in the morning you wake up, when you're flying high above the clouds and it's bright and the sun is out and it's magnificent and it's peaceful. So it's easy. Oh, Hashem, you're magnificent. It's wonderful. Everything's bright and clear and obvious. That's easy to feel Hashem's chesed during the day. But when all of a sudden the, dark, the clouds come in and they, and they, they block your vision, and it's easy to then say, where's Hashem? What is Hashem? Why would Hashem do this? I don't know if there is Hashem. So that's requires not chastecha. That's not when we tap into knowing or singing or praising or thanking Hashem's kindness. That's when it comes to emunascha. That's when we have to tap into emuna. And, and so what the Rebbe is developing, it's an amazing tool, is the idea that when you have the moments of cloud, when it feels dark out, there's two reactions you could have. 
you could say, well, I guess there goes the sun. The sun must have exploded. The sun must have disappeared. The sun floated away. There goes the sun. Isn't there a song like that? There goes the sun. Or you could say, not that the sun is gone and I'm adjusting to my new life of dark clouds and permanent nighttime and the fact that you know I can't see anything and nothing makes sense and I don't accept anything. But the opposite conclusion is to say, wow, now is when I'm challenged most to remember and remind myself that the sun is there even when I can't see it. Now is when I have to reaffirm and tap into that inner voice and remember the image and the experience of the sun even when I can't see it. Right? That's his words. Zen nisayon ha-hester. This is the challenge of hiddenness, of concealment. Sha'avim mechasim hargashaso. That the thick clouds are covering your feeling. It takes work to have amuna. We want amuna to come easy. We want it to be that when everything makes sense and is beautiful and comes together, when everything is hunky-dory, when everything is the flow of blessing in our life and goodness, so that's when I say, yeah, there's a God, thank you, Hashem, Baruch Hashem, Chaste Hashem, Mirza Hashem, Be'ezuz Hashem, everything is amazing. But when the rubber meets the road and when the tough comes, that's the test of Amuna. It's easy to have Amuna when everything, it's, by the way, when I say it's easy, most people still don't. They forget Hashem, they neglect Hashem when everything's going well. But in, in theory, it's easy. If you're reminded of it, who would deny that it's easy at that? Yeah, you throw God a Bezra, thank you. You throw God a, a Baruch Hashem. Why not? Everything's good. But when things are tough, it's hard. It's hard. And Amunash doesn't come easy. That's when it's hard. That's when it's, it's time to remember that. It's true in all relationships. Relationships have moments of sun, of light, and they have moments of clouds and of darkness. The best relationships in the world, the best marriages in the world. Shem created us different. We're designed to be different. And that's the beauty of marriage, is that we complement and supplement one another. We bring out the best in another. We agitate each other to the point of growing, right? It's the, uh, the pearl grows in the... What does the pearl grow in? The clam? An oyster? The pearl grows in the oyster and... Supposedly, the mechanism in the oyster is it's agitated and it's secretes and it's stimulated and it's bothered and then it produces the magnificent gem of, of the pearl. It's through agitation that a person, not, not that we seek it or create it, but when it happens, we reflect on it, realizing the growth opportunity in it. I'll tell you a word in last week's parish on Bashalach that you know, the Gemara says that that it's as difficult. You know, the Gemara asks, what, now that God created the world and he split the sea and he did the ten plague, you know, he hasn't really revealed his hand since. He hasn't really shown his hand since. So what's, what's, he, what's he busy doing? What's taking up his time? He has shown his hand since. There's miracles all around us. It's just not as revealed. I took a, I reserve the right to tell the story again in the drusha, but I took it, we took a cab in, in cabs. It's worth flying to Israel for drusha material. <laughs> like one hour in Israel is a few drushas. Took a cab, and the cab driver was. Uh, we were driving near the old city, and he started volunteering to us. You know, the Jordanian houses used to go to here, and this is where the mines were, and this is where the. That's like what? Why? That's fascinating. Why are you telling us that? He goes, "Oh, I fought in the Six Day War, and I was part of the group that the paratroopers that took the old city, and so I saw all of this firsthand." And he, he told beyond incredible stories. He was actually the first person at the Kotel when the Kotel was recaptured. He was the first person there, and the way he described that story. That you'll have to hear address at some point later this year. It was unbelievable. But what's amazing is so I pulled, I said, you know, oh, wow, like, were you there when Rav Gorin blew the show? Yeah, of course, I was standing right next to him. I said, one second, one second, one second. I Google in the cab, I pull up the picture, I show him the picture, and I say, 
He goes, yeah, that's me right there to the left of Rav Gorin. So I took a picture with him afterwards and I made a little picture side by side and I circled him in the Rav Gorin picture. It looks exactly like him. It's him. Anyway, he had amazing stories and he's my best friend and I called him and took him for every cab ride that we had to go for after that. Would um, you share his number? Happily. I actually begged him to meet with the Hillel 8th graders when they go on the annual trip to Israel. Would he show them through the old city? And he was like, why, why, why would I do that? I'm like, because you're a hero. He's like, I'm a hero. I'm a cab driver. I just fought in every war and helped conquer the old city and was the first one at the Kotel, but that's just, that was, what I was, that was my job. That's just what I was supposed to be doing. Anyway, that's the beauty of Israel. Ordinary people, extraordinary people living ordinary lives. So that six day, later I'll tell you that story, but the six-day war, of course, is a great miracle. Hashem has not been bored. He has plenty of work to do. Look around the world today. He has a lot on his plate. So, but the Gemara wonders, what, what's God been doing since the uh, six days of creation and some of the revealed miracles? What's he busy with? And the Gemara concludes, you know what he's busy with? He's making Shidduchim. If anyone's been involved in making Shidduchim, you realize that it takes a, not a Herculean effort, it takes a godly effort. That, that even God's hands are full sometimes with the challenges of, of making Shidduchim. So the Gemara basically wonders that. Really, it's like such tough work. That it takes God? I mean, doesn't God know about the websites? Can't he refer people to JDate and uh, Soyot Sinai and, and uh, YU Connects? It takes God to be involved? So the Gemara says, yeah, it takes God. You know why? Because Kashel Zavgan, it's as difficult to pair people off as it was. You think it's so simple? You think God divided the sea and he's moved on, he hasn't done anything since? Every marriage that lasts is the equivalent miracle as the splitting of the sea. And the commentaries all wonder... Wow, that's a pretty bold statement. You know, splitting the sea was a once-in-a-history moment. The sea split. It formed two walls, 12 walls, corridors that each of the tribes passed through. You're telling me that every chuppah, every marriage, every anniversary is, uh, is somehow as, as miraculous? So the Maharal of Yehudaloi of Prague has a great interpretation. And he says the following. I think this is the cornerstone of marriage. He says that what was the miracle of the splitting of the sea? The miracle of the splitting of the sea was that naturally water molecules stick together. Water flows to its lowest point and water collects and it pools together and those are the natural characteristics of water. If you take a fork and a knife and you say, you know what, I have a bowl of water but I have two kids fighting over it so I'll take a fork and a knife and I'll cut the water in half and I'll give each of them a portion. Would that work? Obviously not. That defies... Nature defies the natural order of things. It's not the way water works. When the sea split, God intervened and something supernatural. What is supernatural? Supernatural means a break in nature, above nature, interrupting or interfering with nature. Naturally, water is together. When water split into two, something supernatural happened. Says the Maharal, you know, people are naturally apart, separate individual, unique, self-interested. When you take two people and they're able to overcome their natural instinct to be separate and independent and apart, and they're able to become one, that's equally as supernatural, it's equally as miraculous. Taking two, becoming one, is equally as miraculous as taking one and becoming two. It's an amazing insight of the Maharaj. So if a person runs into challenges in marriage, and when I say challenges, I don't mean you know, necessarily deep, ongoing therapy and, and borderline divorce, or I don't mean you know, moments of infidelity or, or crisis. I just mean you wanted to have flesheks for dinner and she wanted to have milkshakes for dinner. I just mean that 
you had this view of how the day would go and they had that view. I just mean you left the socks out of the hamper or you forgot to pick up the dry cleaning. I just mean the daily life of living married. You are each born different, different personalities and different interests and different skill sets and different deficiencies and different backgrounds and different perspectives and different worldviews and different strengths. And you take two people who are different and you try to blend them together, you're going to find friction. You're going to find friction. The morale is saying is embrace that friction. That friction is not something which is bad. The friction is good. It's healthy. The so Gemara says that you know the azer connecto. The notion of the friction can either lead you to be an azer to one another. The friction, the differences, can make you um, be honest with one another, bring out the best in one another, challenge one another, create growth opportunities in one another, learn to compromise and sacrifice. It can bring out the best in you. You're an azer. You can be. You know, the connecto, the opposite and, the, and the, the adversary and the conflict and the, you know, constantly the, the negativity and so on. The choice is ours in marriage. How do we embrace it? Sometimes to be the best azer, you have to be connecto. Sometimes to be the best helpmate, you have to stand opposite the person. If you see your, your partner doing something you think is wrong or you have to, you know, challenge them or bring out the best in them, but it's all how you do it and so on and so forth. So the Maral is saying that fundamental to marriage is the recognition and the appreciation that the goal of marriage is not to create uniformity, that we look and talk and sound and appear and think and do exactly the same. The goal of marriage is not a struggle of, you know, in Talmudic terminology, called the alam gvar. Whoever is more strong will can force the other to conform to be them. I like my meat rare. You like it well done. No problem. For now on, you like it rare. I like to go to sleep early. You like to go to sleep late. For now on, you like to go to sleep early. That I totally erase whatever your individuality is and I make you conform to me. That is not the goal of marriage. Says the Maharal. That would defy the goal of marriage. Embrace the differences between us because that's, that's what brings out the absolute best in us. It's all how we navigate the differences. I gave once a three or four part series on, on John Gottman, the, the authority on marriage today and, and blending it with Torah thoughts. And I quoted this Maharal in that context because Gottman says the exact same thing about marriage. John and Julie Gottman um, studied not what makes bad marriages but what makes healthy marriages. You did such a great job with that. Oh, thank you so much. Hold on. Did we get that? Yeah, I appreciate that. You can, thank you. You can listen online. It's on Why You Torah, and it's not me. It's all, it's all the Gottmans. I'm huge fans of the Gottmans, and I've employed their um, conclusions in my own life and in, and in, my, own, um, in my own non-professional counseling. Don't you think part of the Shura crisis today is because we oppose that form of individuality and everybody wants the same thing or in certain communities they are forced to do the same thing and want the same type yeah, of Yeah, you know what, I don't know I don't know enough to have a comment on this, but, but since you asked um, <laughs> I don't know that in the shit of crisis it's a matter of, of singles trying to force others to conform as much as trying to meet people who they won't have to be flexible to who are completely compatible with what they want in their lifestyle and their thoughts and their everything. And if the person is not including the appearance and the picture that was attached to the resume, um, you know, so everything has to line up, including the dress size in advance. And if it's not all compatible, I have no room to grow. And I think that's a fundamental, it's, that, look, that's a 
it's a gross generalization, which may be unfair, but... Yeah, but no, but the difference, I think, is that I, I don't know what... Well, I'm what, talking about in certain communities, though. Right. Like everybody has to have the same expectations. Right. They have to fit into a box, into a mold, and look and exactly the same. Right. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. So Gottman says the same thing in terms of... So again, the brilliance of Gottman, and you could buy many of his best-selling books, and, and they're all fantastic, is that... Um, and I can't repeat the four-part lecture in the next five minutes, but, but fundamental to his, his approach to healthy marriages, because again, he doesn't study failing marriages, he studies what are the ingredients that make a healthy marriage, and, and kind of the first ingredient he finds is to embrace the differences between you, not to keep trying to force the other to conform or to forget or to concede or to submit, but to recognize that those differences are what makes marriage great. It's how you grow, it's how you learn, it's how you... It's what makes the interaction fantastic. And, and you know, he did research and he shows that, I forget exactly what the number is, 60-70% of the fights that we have in marriage are recurring fights. We just have them over and over and over again. And the reason we have them throughout our lives, people today are celebrating unprecedentedly 50, 60, 70th wedding anniversaries as we have greater longevity. You know, we'll need new names and, and minerals to describe uh, the length of these anniversaries. But... Um, you could be married 60, 70 years and you're having the same fight that you had from your Sheva Brochus week, right? Which, you know, Gottman shows that most fights revolve around um, money, intimacy, or family. And you're having the same exact fight. So you've been at 40, 50, 60, 70 years. You're going the same fights. He shows, I forgot what percentage, 60, 70% of the fights are the exact same fights. It's mind-boggling. So I actually went to a two-day seminar with him and he showed us a video where he had been counseling a couple and the couple were fighting about money. One was raised with a wealthier background and one was raised with less privilege. The one with the wealthier background spent freely. And the one with less privilege did not spend freely. It was much more... Um, cheap is the wrong word. Frugal. Thank you. It was much more frugal. So they were constantly fighting. Constantly fighting about money. Can we afford this? Should we be buying this? Why'd you do this? It was an enormous recurring fight in their marriage. And they couldn't solve it or settle it between the two of them. So Gottman goes to an elementary school and he goes into a classroom of little kids. I forgot the exact grade. And he describes to them, boys and girls, I have a problem. I have friends who are married and they've been fighting about money. And one you know, wants to spend more and the other doesn't want to spend more. And what do you think we should do? And the little kids all talk and the little girl raises her hand and she says, I think that they should sometimes spend money and sometimes not spend money and decide together when they should spend and when not to. And what was Gottman's point is that a little child can draw the conclusion that could end the perpetual locked-in fight that recurs over and over and over again. But what's the problem? What's blocking us from solving that, pro- that, that fight is the insistence that if I just articulate it one more time, if I just confront them one more time, if I just engage them one more time, I can convince them why I'm right, they're wrong. They have to submit and concede. And Gottman says, so that's why you're locked into 40, 50, 60 years of the exact same fight. And instead, he describes, and I have worked with couples to do this, that it has transformed their marriages, that you identify. I actually gave this as an, as an exercise, and I want to get back to Emuna, but I, I gave this as an exercise that... Each member of the couple, each spouse, independently come up with a list of the top three things they fight about. What are the recurring fights that you're having all the time? The top three things that you keep fighting about. And then, not in a moment of a fight, but when there's calm and peace between you, go to Starbucks. It's good to have these conversations in public settings because therefore the, the decibel level cannot rise 
a scene can't be created. It's kind of an external, you know, enforces some civility in the conversation. And, and compare your notes and see whether the things you fight about line up. It'll be interesting to learn whether you agree even on what you fight about or you're about to have a fight about what you fight about. And you figure that out. And then you make subsequent meetings at Starbucks designated in moments of common peace to try to negotiate and navigate, or the better word is mediate, the things that you keep fighting about. How can we come up with a solution that will work for now on? How can we mediate it so that we don't continue to have this fight all the time over and over and over again? <coughs> and Gottman shows that if you do that, you can eliminate 60-70% of your fights. Wouldn't you want to have 60-70% to more peace and quiet in your life? Now, the prerequisite to that is that both members of the couple are prepared to mediate. Mediate means compromise. It means I have this value, you have that value. I'm done trying to make you submit or concede or, or conform. I'm now just trying to figure out how we can eliminate 60-70%. So I'm going to give you an example because my wife is 6,000 miles away in another time zone. So I, I'm going to give you an example. <laughs> on tape, so I might be... I might be sleeping on your couch next week, but I will I'll give this example because I think it's a, it's a pretty benign example. We, we go to a lot of simchas. We go to a lot of events and we love them. We love participating and it's wonderful. It's what makes the rabbinate and being part of a, of a communal family amazing. We go to a lot of events, a lot of events. So I'm a little bit more of a punctual person. I'm not gonna say, I will not conclude the opposite, but it's not a matter of punctuality. It's more a matter, matter of... Um, priority and to Yochevit's tremendous credit, because we go to so many events, she wants to minimize the amount of time that we're leaving the kids at pivotal times, Sundays, evenings. They need to be put to bed, homework, and so on and so forth. I'm always very eager to get there. What if the what if the they're having speeches first and they're calling on me to speak? What if they're what you know, we need to get? It's not right. We're late. For them, this is their simcha, even though we go all the time. And she feels we go all the time, and we need to minimize the amount of time we're leaving the children, and therefore. You know, we know that there's the standing around doing nothing for an hour, then there's the whatever, we can get there late. We, every simcha we went to, were locked into this conversation where I was eager to go, she was taking her time, and it wasn't because one of us was right, one of us was wrong, and I'm always right, but it was because it was a different perspective and different... So you know what? We said, this is ridiculous. We, we need to just figure out a solution so that every single simcha, we don't end up having... Right, so... We, we just, it was a simple conversation. And maybe this will be obvious to you, it would have to the third grade girl that Gottman went to. We just concluded that, you know what? We're going to go to Simcha separately. Mm-hmm. It's a very simple, now I'm not talking about, you know, right. local Simchas, we'll go separately. And we coordinated, but you know, you like to go home together from a Simcha. So one of us found a ride there, and that way we were able to come back together. And now we eliminated the fact that every Simcha we argue about when we should leave and what time to get there, and so on and so forth. I'm giving that as a, as a simple example of using this exercise and this tool to identify the issues that are recurring, to not try to force someone to conform to you, but mediate and figure out the compromise somewhere in between, and by so doing, to be able to eliminate so many. Okay, why am I telling you all of this? What in the world does that have to do with Emuna? Yeah. How many? Hey, wait, we didn't even go to Starbucks for that one. We just, we just figured that out. That one, yeah. That's the one I'm sharing with you. Yeah. Why am I telling you this about Amuna? Why am I telling you this about Amuna? Because, you know, in the moments of conflict and friction in marriage, 
in a healthy marriage. I'm not talking about a marriage in crisis. I'm not talking about a marriage on the verge of, of, of dissolving. I'm talking about a generally healthy, loving marriage, which has moments of friction, which I showed to you from the Maharal and from Gottman, are not... Um, they're, they're part of the building blocks of marriage because we are by definition different. So stop trying to destroy that and break that. Embrace it and grow from it. So in the healthy mo- in the moments of friction in a healthy marriage is when the dark clouds come out. So do you say, you know what? That's it. I'm getting divorced. I wanted fleshiks. You wanted milchiks. You forced me to go to milchiks. I've scheduled the get for tomorrow. And I'm serving you with papers because you know what? There's dark clouds out. Right, voices rose, decibel levels rose, temperatures rose. We were screaming and blaming each other and comparing you. You're exactly like your mother. You're exactly yeah. It's always like this. You always do this. We ended up in a huge fight. We feel like the other person is a stranger. We don't even recognize. We don't even want to be with. We don't even know. Everything is horrible in that moment. So when that happens, not if, but when that happens, I would even argue that in a marriage that it doesn't happen, I don't even know how good the marriage is. So when that happens... Do you say, well, the clouds just came out. It just got very dark inside. It just got very dark in here. I guess the sun exploded. I guess the sun blew away. I guess the marriage is over. It's over. Done. Finished. Get. Serving you with papers. We're done. How do you want to divide the money? No, you say to yourself, you know what? I know that yesterday I was madly in love. And I know that tomorrow I'm going to be madly in love. And I know that there's a shining sun behind those clouds. And now is when I need to tap into that and say, I need to... Check my ego at the door. I need to try to look at this a little bit objectively. I need to have some self-awareness and say, how am I contributing to this fight? And I need to man up or woman up and figure out not how to perpetuate this, how to prolong this, but how to end this because I want to get back to the sun. I want the clouds to dissipate. I want to, get, I want to take off again and fly up through the clouds and get back to the sun. So in a healthy marriage, I don't think anyone consciously or mindfully thinks all this through the way I'm describing it, but subconsciously we say... I know I have a healthy marriage, it's amazingly enriching and, and, and phenomenal and I love it and it's what I live for and I can't wait to get back to it. I'm having a moment of dark clouds and now is when I need to remind myself that there's a sun up there. And we instinctively do that and do what's necessary to end the fight and get back to the loving relationship and get back there because it's really where we all want to be. And that's what the Salaam Rebbe is saying in a very roundabout way that I've just described. If it's true in our relationship with... Um, our spouse, it's true in our relationship with family members, it's true in our relationship with, with friends, I mean real friends, that you are eager to get back to the shining sun, not the one who the clouds came so strong that you say, good riddance sun, but I mean real friendship. In different rela- If it's true in these many arenas and relationships of our life, then it is also true, arguably most true, in the relationship with the Almighty, who the highest metaphor of that relationship is of a husband and a wife. We have all these metaphors. We've talked about this. Father, son, master, servant, king, um, citizen. We have all these different metaphors for our relationship with Hashem. But the highest one, the Kiva says, Kol Ashirim Kodesh, but Shir Ashirim is Kodesh HaKadoshim. Shir Ashirim, the Song of Songs, is the holiest of holy. Because picturing and envisioning and living our lives that God is our spouse, is our lover, is a husband and wife, with the love and the longing and the intimacy and the, and the connection and the yearning and the romance, that is the highest relationship. So sometimes in a relationship, the clouds come out. And in this moment, God, I say, where are you? I don't feel your love. I don't love you. Where are you? 
But that's when, like in other relationships, you have to remember that the sun is still burning bright up there and get back to it. We're back inside. When you feel in your heart a certain coldness, do not allow the coldness that you feel in your heart to enter into your head. What do you need to do? You feel a coldness in your heart. Where is God? I don't feel God. I'm filled with doubt. I'm filled with uncertainty. I don't know. Don't allow those doubts to creep from your heart into your head and to convince you that now God doesn't exist. Like we talked about last week, Reb Chaim Brisker. I give terutzim to kashas, I don't give terutzim to terutzim. I give answers to questions, I don't give answers to answers. Don't let the coldness in our heart transform themselves into answers that are presenting themselves as questions. But rather, what do you have to do in that moment? Atzaso, the, the etza, the, the advice is, Ola be'amuna she'ya'amin kihuma'amin. Take the leap of faith that you have faith. It's a great expression. Mm-hmm. Have faith that you have faith. Have faith that you have faith. Just feel that, that what is true and what's real at that moment is being concealed. It's being hidden. But it's inside there. It's under there. And though you can't see it, believe it. Believe it's there. Have faith that you have faith. Have faith in yourself that you will have faith in that trying moment. And that, we say, well, why does God have to act that way with me? Why is this a hide and seek game? Why is it so hard to find Him? This is the secret of God. This is the secret of the tests of the soul. We don't know exactly why, but we know that it brings out the best in us. We are seeking Him. Yes? Right. Well, yeah, if, if, you, if you take it from, take it back into marriage, then it's that, yeah, in the moment that your marriage feels like it's uh, challenged, have faith in yourself and have faith in your partner that you both have the commitment and the devotion that it takes. And in this other Sefer Priha Aretz, it says, says the Islam Rebbe, that at the moment that you see that the amuna in your heart is decreasing, you're forgetting there's a Hashem, you, 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 you're not feeling it, you're not saying it. Ya'amin shazuhi Hashem You should embrace the doubt with a sense that the doubt too comes from God. Such an interesting, interesting idea. You know, you, you wouldn't necessarily see the Slanam Rebbe, the Hasidish Rebbe, endorsing this approach. What he's saying is that doubt, Rabbi Lamb has a beautiful expression like this, I forgot, I forgot the exact wording, but, but faith without doubt is not faith. Doubt is kind of a, a, a real ingredient. Remember, it's like a marriage which is bliss and joy and compatibility and never ever as friction of voices raised. I, I, I challenge the, the depth of that marriage. Again, it's something that we strive. I'm not saying we should, you know, everyone go home and try to get in a fight today because that, that means you're in a great marriage. I'm not saying you should instigate or, or seek the arguments. But I'm saying that it, 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 to me it's a very shallow relationship 
if, if there is no, because we're all different. We are all different. Those differences are great. They're what make up, they're what make up life. So just like that's a real necessary prerequisite to a healthy marriage, doubt is kind of a prerequisite to a healthy faith. A faith that never, ever, ever stumbled. A faith that never tripped. A faith that never hesitated or paused. A faith that never... Is that a real faith? Or is it shallow? Is it just lip service? Be'ezus Hashem, Baruch Hashem, Chaste Hashem, Oh Hashem, I love Hashem, I love Hashem, I love Hashem. If you're going through a crazy tragedy, if something around you has suffered, if you're in, in, in unbearable pain and you don't say, Whoa, one second, Hashem, where are you? Or why are you doing this to me? Or I want to find you. Then you are living with a very shallow sense of faith. So when you're filled with the doubt and the uncertainty, instead of using that as a cop-out, well, I'm out of here. I just don't see God or I don't know. Instead of wondering, why do I have to experience this doubt? Where is Hashem? Reveal your hand. Talk to me the way you did to our forefathers. This tradition the Salaam Rebbe has from the Sefer Priha Aretz is to think of the doubt as also being a form of Hashgacha Pratis. It's not just that, wow, everything worked out and is amazing, and what siyata deshmaya, what hashkacha pratis, what divine providence that it all worked out perfectly. Even when it doesn't work out, you have to say, wow, what divine providence that it didn't work out at all. And part of it is not just, wow, I have faith, what divine providence that I could feel amuna. You know what, when I have doubt, it's, wow, what divine providence that right now I'm feeling doubt. And I'm embracing the doubt. And the doubt is there for me to struggle and to work and to overcome. It's testing me, it's challenging me, and it's going to make me stronger. So I don't take the doubt and use it as a cop-out. I take the doubt and I embrace it as an opportunity to break through it, to fight through it, to run through that wall. The harder something is, the sweeter the achievement. When I was in my year in Israel, in Karen we went on a tiul um, near a lot. I'll never forget, it was like a three-hour hike probably like 15 minutes, I just remember it as three hours. But it was a really long, <laughs> arduous, difficult hike. And at the very end of the hike, it left us on the top of a cliff with a magnificent, magnificent view looking down. And I still remember the mashkiach of Karen Biavna, of Rivlin, saying to us, you know, had, had we taken a helicopter and, and just escorted everybody to the top of this mountain for this view, you would have said, nice view, let me take a picture. And uh, would have been out of here. But because you just hiked and worked and climbed and climbed and hiked and worked, this view means so much more to you because of the effort it took. So Amuna on the top of the mountain, that view, that perspective, that life of Amuna means so much more when you had to break through the doubt, the obstacles of doubt that were placed along the line all the way. So you say, well, God, just give me a straight shot. You know, let me take the cable car. Why, why, do, I have to, why do I have to work and take the snake path? But the answer is because when you do, it's so much more meaningful. No pain, no gain. We know it in other areas of our life. And when you get to the top of that mountain, it is so much sweeter. And the view is so much better. And it's so much more transformative because of the effort it took. So when one feels, you're struggling, there's doubt, there's uncertainty, there's wonder, where is Hashem? Don't say, oh, why do I have to go through this? Nor say, you know what, I'm out of here, relationship's over. I'm giving a get to God. But rather say, wow, you know what? I don't know why I'm going through this period right now. I don't know why I'm experiencing this season of life right now. But you know what? This too is hashkacha. This too is meant to be. And for whatever reason, I have been, had this obstacle placed before me. But guess what? It's not going to stop me. I'm going to climb over it. I'm going to go around it. I'm going to dig under it. But I'm getting through it. I'm going to get to the other side because I remember what that sunlight feels like. I remember what it looks like, and I'm so desperate to get back there, I will do whatever it takes to get back there. 
Yes. I feel like the greatest chizuk we have is when we wake up in the morning and we say Moda'ani. The last part of that first phrase is Rabbah and Munakaha. Hashem's faith in us, right? Hashem's if we woke up that day, exactly. Hashem is right. So when you when you wonder and doubt in Hashem, remember that his if if your faith in God is struggling, remember His faith in you is constant. If you woke up today, if you got a breath in your nostrils, if you got a beat in your chest, then if you woke up today. Rabbi Emunasecha, whatever your faith in him is, his faith in you is great that day. All right, we're off next week. I'll be out of town again, and uh, we'll pick it up, please God, the week after. Have a great week, everybody.